night, everybody. This is uh, Real Hawk Talk, episode 11, and this is impromptu because uh, schedules are crazy this week, but Jeff and I wanted to get together and uh, talk a little bit about the Hawks. Um, Jeff, uh, you wouldn't mind uh, getting us going here. Um, uh, always good to, to mention uh, mention that this is brought to you by a bunch of Hawk Blogger sponsors, um, including uh steam donkey brewery and altitude homes and uh pagliacci pizza so i got a lot of great sponsors here um altitude's giving away 500 dollars for every closed transactions at, if you go to altitude.com uh slash re altitude-re.com slash hb it's kind of complicated but go there and uh buy a home, sell a home. They'll give a $500, um, to Ben's fund. And then, uh, steam donkey brewery is just great, great beer. Probably got your pizza. They got a special deal this week. Use the Hawk blogger code. When you buy, you get, you buy one 11 inch pizza, you get another one for free. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, then that's probably as much good stuff as we have to talk about. Now we're going to get into how the Seahawks have been playing Jeff. So what's, what's, uh, what's on your mind as we get going today? Oh, that was that was a that was a tough game. I I thought that was going to be pretty much as close to a breeze as as there would be on the schedule, especially after the way they lost that first game. But I, I think we both have to get into this. I think everyone wants to talk about this. Everyone wants to hear about it. It's the offense because they look great in the preseason. They really start to look like they're really starting to show progress, and all of a sudden the regular season starts and they're completely inept. It looks like the team we saw last year. And, You've written about this probably worse, especially up front. And I can't there, – there's just so many things I want to hit on about the offense because it, it seems like there's no real identity to what they're doing right now. I know how Pete wants to play, and I know Pete wants to be a power-running team and play kind of like they did when they had Marshawn Lynch and use Russell on the play-action plays and the deep shots and the shots down the field. But to me, all I can think about two games into the season and – it was funny. I was talking to a couple people in football about this. Uh, John Milkoff, I was tweeting back and forth with him. And I noticed Brock Heward liked one of my tweets. And I don't know if this is an overreaction or not, but my thought watching this team is they're trying to be something they're not. And I know what, how P wants to play. I know how Tom Cable wants to play. But you can't really be a power running team when you don't have a blocking tight end. You don't have an offensive line that consistently you can run block. And your best players, really, personnel-wise, outside of Russell, are wide receivers, Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, Jimmy Graham, which we'll definitely get into later. So it seems like there's almost a disconnect into what they want to be and what they are. And maybe that's an overreaction, but I think – and it was interesting to hear Pete mention scheme changes yesterday because that was my first change. Whatever they're doing isn't working. And it was great to see that fourth quarter and then win like that, but there's nothing to this offense right now that gives me any confidence. I, I don't know how you feel. I think those are all great points. Look, uh, the, the offensive line in the current state that it's in is not going to be able to sustain a consistent offensive team for a little while. Yeah. I, who knows? Maybe, maybe at any point that that's a real fair question, even this early to ask. Now, did they make some progress this week compared to the first week? I'd say absolutely that they did. Yeah. And um, I got some pushback on that. That people are like, "What do you mean that 
Russell had a tough game and the offensive line played better. Well, as I put it in the article, you know, I, I was talking about Vern Troyer, mini me. I'm like, Vernon Troyer can stand on a, a dollar bill <laughs> and he can be taller. It doesn't mean that he's tall um, yeah. or even of average size. So did I see the offensive line allowing fewer free runners into Russell Wilson's face at, immediately on snap? Yes. Did I see that he had at time a few seconds to throw? I did. Did I see some opportunity where the running backs could actually make a, a, a driving cut into the line as opposed to being uh, avoiding guys that were hitting them two yards behind the line? I did. Those are all signs of progress. And so yeah. that gives you at least some hope that they're going to continue to progress and continue to get better. And another you know, sign of progress is that the team is recognized what they have in Chris Carson. They could have very easily, we could be talking about why they keep running Thomas Rawls or Eddie Lacy or CJ Procise. It's obvious that Carson's their guy. They see it and they're taking advantage of that. So I give them kudos for giving him the ball 20 times in that game and only giving the ball to Rawls like four or five times. I think that was the right call. And I think it was a big reason why they ended up winning. Yeah. If you're going to be optimistic about anything right now, it's Chris Carson because I remember we talked about it after the third preseason game that I thought after that game, if the competition really played out, Carson should have opened his opening day running back. And yeah, they made him earn it, but there's one thing to be positive about. He's been, he looked fantastic. I believe the Seahawks controlled the ball in the final nine of 11 minutes and Carson pretty much closed out that game because if San Francisco got the ball after that missed extra point, you never know what could happen. One, it all it takes was one run. And it's yeah, it's true. I, I mean, he he's leading the NFL in in uh, broken broken tackle percentage from what uh, I saw earlier today. He's running hard. He's running decisively. So I mean, I think those are positive signs. I agree. I think you brought, you brought up some great points about the fact that they don't have an identity right now, and I think yeah. that they're faceless to some extent because they don't have a strength in the sense that um, when the offensive line is performing at this level, you can't be a consistent running team and you can't be a consistent passing team. Exactly. So they don't have, you have to start with one thing before you can have two or three or four or whatever you're going to need to be a, a viable offense. And they're still searching for the first thing. And, I think they're still searching. I think they hope that now they've got Chris Carson and maybe, maybe they just say, look, some of our best series were when we ran Chris Carson three times in a row and went two yards, six yards, four yards and move the sticks and do that against any amount of guys in the box. And they used to do that with Marshawn and was not always pretty, but it established an identity. It established how they want to attack a defense and it wore teams down. So uh, if you're looking for a place to start, that seems like as good of a place as any. Yeah, and for me, the, the tough thing right now and why I keep coming back to the disconnect is you look across some of the O-line. Riso Diambo left tackle. He's not a good run blocker. It's not part of his game. And, yeah, he was the backup plan to come in, but he's really struggling in run blocking. Luke Jokel, he's still coming off that surgery, and he's having trouble anchoring other offensive linemen. He's been put on his back a bunch. But he's, he did really show some improvement a little bit. 
Justin Britt's a pretty good run blocking lineman. Jermaine Effetti, when he's his technique is on, he's a really good run blocker. But Mark Lewinsky has been he's really struggled that position. And I know people weren't the biggest J.R. Sweezy fans because he wasn't great in pass protection, but at least Sweezy, when he when they ran that system, he, he had a clear strength. He was a mean, tough run blocking right guard. And now you have Mark Lewinsky, who really doesn't have a real strength on offensive line. I think I think he should be replaced as a starter this week. I don't know if it's Odia Bushi. I don't know if it's Ethan Posick. But I think Lewinsky, whether it's pass pro, whether it's run blocking, he's not really excelling in either. And I don't think he's earned his position. And I would like to see them make some changes up front. There's not much they can do with most of those other guys with Reese. But I don't know if they go more spread concept, maybe run out of spread with Carson, maybe throw on first down more consistently. But they need to use their players in a better way because Doug Baldwin hasn't been – he's been how many – he's not dominating like he should. And we saw a dominant player last year, a dominant player in the preseason. It's not on him. He's not in a position to succeed right now because right now Russell – another thing is Russell hasn't been playing very well. And I don't know what your thoughts were on Sunday's game. I know there was a lot of rain. But Russell's missing throws. And we saw some stuff with his mechanics where he was missing high throws, missing low Missed some guys down the field. He missed Lockett in the Green Bay game. And Tyler Lockett's been open a bunch, by the way. I'm really impressed with how he's come back. But you combine the offensive line, the receivers couldn't catch this week. But Russell needs to be better. If he's a franchise guy like we all talk about, and we all know he is, he can't play like this. I think that's right. Uh, you know, I I look at it as this is a – well, I guess there's one part I kind of I kind of push back on. I don't think Russell Wilson's been playing poorly. I think that that first game, there is not a quarterback in the league that would have played well no, in that no, game. No. There may have been a quarterback that would have gotten the team out of some bad plays before the snap or given them a chance to be more successful, but I don't think anybody would have had a great day with, with that offensive line performance against Green Bay. Sure. Last week, I don't think he played that well. And did I think he played horribly? No. But a lot of this has to do with expectations. Uh, I heard Mike Salk, you know, debating this a little bit with Brock Heward on their show on Monday morning. And Mike Salk was like, oh, I'd give him a B plus because I'm looking for a guy that, you know, he, he had the moxie to lead the winning drive at the end. And he found a way to win and lead them back even when things weren't working. And, um, you know, if the guys had, caught a couple of the passes that that they should have his numbers would have been a lot better and Brock Cure said look I think that he's a C or C plus because he put the ball in harm's way and um, missed some throws and Pete Carroll was kind of in the middle he said look this this there were some throws that he missed some reads he missed there were some passes that he put in the wrong place because he didn't read the play the right way and I think Jeff a lot of this comes down to expectations yeah I expect Russell Wilson to be, if not the best quarterback in the NFL, I expect him to be in that conversation. And I can't recall a time where I've seen Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Matt Ryan or Aaron Rodgers, guys of that ilk, have a game where you're like, God, they're just off. They're missing players. They're missing throws. There's wide open guys that they're not hitting. That just rarely, rarely happens, and it still happens too often to Russell. So to me, it's not a matter of I don't like Russell. It's that I have big dreams for what he can be, and that means he has to get better than he is right now. 
Yeah, and the end of the 2015 season. I don't know if that skewed expectations or that. Yep. That's the quarterback we kind of want to see come back. And he was so decisive and so good at his first read. And he was so accurate down the field, short. We haven't really seen that. We saw it in glimpses last year. He was really good in that New England game. And, yeah, his stats – I agree with what Salk was saying to an extent. There were bad drops in this game, and I was tweeting about it during the game. There were at least six drops I counted, and four of those six had major implications. If they go up 14 nothing early, the whole game changes. Yeah. The whole men, the whole view of the game has changed, but still. There's too many chances right now where there's open receivers or Russell's missing guys. He's throwing too high when you have Tyler Lockett. That can't be happening. And, yeah, I, I think it's expectations is a good point because we saw a guy who's capable of being the MVP of the league. And maybe it's unfair to expect him to play like that all the time. Sure. But we want to see that 2015 Russell come back. The guy you saw in the second half of the season who was just lighting up the league. And now he's going up against a team who has the more, the more creative blitz packages, playing on grass. It's not going to be easy for him. Dick LeBeau against Russell. So I, don't, I, I, I just keep wondering what Pete meant when he kept said yesterday at his press conference, there might be some scheme changes. That, that's the thing that's going, going through my head because right now, if you keep rolling out the same thing, expecting it to get better, I, I don't see it. It looks exactly like what we saw last year, and that was the sluggish, sloppy offense that all their plays almost seemed like fluke, like that touchdown where Russell had to make total magic. That play and the degree of difficulty, like that's as hard as a play as anyone could make. And you got to give him great credit for that. That's an insane play that I don't think there's any other quarterback. I don't even know if Rodgers can make that play. So you see stuff like that, and you want to see just a more normal passing game. Is that too much to ask? It, it probably is at this point, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely have MVP expectations for Russell Wilson. Uh, and my poor son keeps drafting him in fantasy football because they keep telling him he's going to have a great year, and, and <laughs> that has not worked out the past <laughs> oh, year no. too. But he's – I think one of the things, Jeff, that I, I, I just – I don't know enough to know, and I'm not sure that any analyst could really – even a quarterback um, who knows the game could tell you unless they're in the locker room and they, and they know what the plays are called and what the reads are and all that kind of thing. But – there is a real consistent aspect to the way I see Russell when he drops back the last year and a half of not seeing what he expects to see. He's not seeing the, the either not seeing the player that he wants to throw to or something. I've seen times where the, the direction he is looking, there is a receiver open, but he doesn't throw it that direction. I've seen Brock yeah. Heward call that out and others. I don't know. And we've seen actually, um, Greg, what's his name? He's a great film. Cosell. Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell's yeah. talked about this a lot, where Wilson will be looking at an open player that looks like his primary read and not throw it. And nobody knows why. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing. I see him look like at a receiver that's covered. And the first, you know, couch backup quarterback kind of thing is to say, oh, that's a bad play. Bevel's not getting guys open or it's the receiver's fault because they're not getting separation. There is this other aspect though, which is when a really experienced and savvy quarterback steps to the line and they see the coverage, they can anticipate who's going to be open based on the coverage or who has the highest probability. And it might not be the guy who's the primary read as part of the play. And they quickly get to the guy who they think is going to be open. 
you know, that's what I want from Russell. And maybe that's mm. happening and maybe it's not him. But I do have that question of whether he's, you know, he is absorbing enough and being t- coached well enough to yeah. find those opportunities. Because, look, the guy taters, they're, they're a quarterback coach who's like 85 years old and Pete Carroll's best friend. Yeah. I don't think they've surrounded him with a, a really good support network to help Russell grow to reach his potential as a quarterback. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I say this a lot, and I, I'm not I'm – I'm okay with Bevel. I'm not like a crazy Bevel guy. I'm not anti-Bevel. I'm kind of in the middle. When I watch Andy Reid, how he coaches his offense, I mention Andy Reid a lot. He's not the best game manager, sure. He's not – he hasn't, the, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but I, I love the way he schemes to get the ball to his best players. You've seen what he's done with Tyreek Hill, and yeah, they got a much better offensive line. It's much easier to function. But there's something about him putting his quarterbacks in position to succeed. And Russell, everything just seems like almost a sandlot play, except when he drops back and finally gets some protection. There's too much randomness. There's, they don't seem to have like a, a rhyme and reason to their offense. And I keep wondering... Are they just relying on one-on-one matchups? I know Bevel's big on you got to win your one-on-ones, but there's no real – I guess rhyme or reason is the best term I can come up with. There's no consistency right now. And yeah, Russell – when Russell goes into that two-minute offense, and you saw at the end of the game when they got that touchdown drive again, when he's running consistently and he's making third downs, that player should be around in the game more often. And I don't know, maybe he's overthinking things. Because You're right, there are plays where he's open – he sees open receivers and doesn't pull the trigger. And maybe he's thinking too much because when he's thinking free and just a- operating out of that no-huddle quick offense, he's a different player. He just plays with instinct. And when he plays with instinct, he looks like a dominant player. And there's no reason you have to wait until the, they need a touchdown for that player to come out. It's too often with this team where the second and third quarters are total washes until the last two minutes of that first half or whatever. This can't keep happening, and yes, the receivers did hurt him. We can't emphasize that enough. But with this kind of skill around him, yes, the offensive line makes it so hard to operate. There needs to be some consistency, and I don't know where it's going to come from, and I do believe Russell can figure it out, but you're right. The coaching, maybe you think about a change because look at the Bengals, right? The Bengals are have pretty decent skill players around them, a similar offensive line situation. They lost Andrew Whitworth. They lost Zeitler. And they saw an offense that really had no rhyme or reason to it. They were just, I believe the term was they were just calling plays, but there was nothing that led to each other. They fired their offensive coordinator this week, and that's very uncommon for Marvin Lewis and that team to do. That was my first thought watching this game. At some point, why are the Bengals thinking this isn't good enough and the Seahawks thinking, oh, everything will be fine, right? (laughs) I'm not calling for their heads, but I'm just, that that was, that thought definitely crossed my mind during the second and third quarter of that game. Well, Pete Carroll is a big difference in that Pete Carroll sees the potential in everybody. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know if Pete has a blind spot for his coaches, but he, he doesn't seem to have, excuse me, the same threshold or same level of expectation for his coaches' performance as he does for his players in terms of mm-hmm. always compete and, um, you know, the best, best person's going to win. I, I do wonder a little bit about that. I think that yeah. I think the team – look, I, I don't believe that a new offensive coordinator is going to be a cure-all for this. You've got a no. serious problem on the offensive line, and it's going to take time for that group to gel. I think that Russell Wilson has some incredible strengths and unique abilities. I think he's also got 
some clear weaknesses that you can't just paper over and some guy's going to come in and automatically find out how to work with him. Mm -hmm. I think that this team overall has an identity that they want, they, they know they want. And what really has to happen, whether Seahawks fans want to wait for it or not, is they've got to be able to run the ball effectively. Yeah. They've got to call those plays. Um, you maybe see Tom Cable get more influence than he has right now, which some people might think is crazy, but he owns the run game. Bevel owns the pass game and the play calling. You could see more running plays called. You could see more of a return to a 2012 offense where it really was, it was built to protect Russell Wilson as a rookie. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that I saw enough signs of progress in that game from the offensive line that I'm not panicking to the point where I'd say, okay, let's just start all over again. But I do feel like for me, it was after the first game, if the offensive line does not reach uh, an appropriate level of production this year, I don't know how you can keep Tom Cable around. I mean, he, he, at some point you've got to go find somebody else. So he, to me is a bigger target than Daryl Bevel. Yeah. And they're just, I can't, I wish I could put my finger on this, but there just hasn't been the development of players here that everyone, whenever someone talks about Tom Cable, and I, I'm not a Tom Cable hater either. I, I think I'm mixed on him. But everyone talks about him as such a great teacher and developer. Other than Sweezy, has there really been great development? And I know there was a lot of attention with Cable yesterday because Scott McLuhan came out and he actually answered Evan's question. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. I did. Evan asked him multiple questions about Cable. And Scott McLuhan was probably the best maybe college – scout or maybe best that football mind there is probably someone who I have immense respect for maybe no one more in football he was raving about cable so maybe that they're not getting the right players or maybe they're looking too much for upside and athleticism rather than technique but they haven't other than maybe Justin Britt recently they haven't been developing players and yes Jermaine Fetty's starting to look a little better a little more comfortable but for a guy who's so hyped around the league and there's been so many examples look what the guy did in New England with that offensive line in Pittsburgh Mike Munchak came in when he was head coach of Tennessee and completely stabilized that group. You look at Brian Baldinger. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. Mm -hmm. He's one of the smartest offensive line minds in the football. He's almost been laughing at how poorly run this offensive line has been the last two games. He keeps tweeting out great clips where he, he'll break down a, a piece of film and he'll explain it over the, with a voiceover. And there's plays where the Seahawks offensive line are running into each other or they're on the ground. And it looks like they've never played football before. I know cut blocking is a big part of their zone scheme, but they look completely disorganized and it makes it so hard for the rest of the offense to function. And yeah, I don't know how you would grade the whole offense as a whole after that game, but I don't know. I keep hearing Gary Gilliam. I got into a thing on Twitter again last <laughs> night. Gary Gilliam wouldn't have solved these problems. Brock Heward, who's as smart as any mind, said Jermaine Fetty's tape last week was as good as anything Gilliam or Sal put on tape all season. And I don't know if he saw the All-22 or whatnot, but Brock is smart enough and played behind the great Seahawks O-lines and pretty good Indianapolis O-lines. He knows what these players look like. He's one of the smartest football minds. So please, this isn't Gary Gilliam. This doesn't mean Pete's outdated or the, the scheme doesn't work. If their offensive line was good, we would be talking about a totally different thing. And Gary Gilliam, 
didn't get any sniffs around the NFL in a league where there has no offensive linemen. There's like 30 teams that can't block. Well, let's move on from this. All right. How, how would you grade the offense as a whole after that game? What kind of grade would you give them? Oh, I gave them like a D minus in that game. Yeah. Yeah. D uh, would have been me. It, look, I think the 49ers defense is a good defense and it's going to hold a lot of teams down. I think that the Seahawks offense managed to not turn the ball over and that's why they were able to win more than any other thing. They were lucky they didn't turn the ball over because Russell tried uh, on a few yeah. occasions. And Mark Lewinsky had a horrible game. Uh, and I would disagree with the, the notion that he hadn't earned his spot. I was watching him and Abushi closely in the preseason as well as in training camp. I thought Abushi was leading in training camp, and I thought Lewinsky raced past him in the games. I thought Abushi had some really rough patches in terms of pass blocking, mm-hmm. gave up some really bad pressures, and I thought Lewinsky was far more uh, consistent. And I think that's why he won the spot. I think he has done as much to lose that spot as he did to win it in the first two games. And I think we are likely to see, you know, you keep talking about the scheme changes that Pete referred to. Well, the exact way that that went in the press conference was Greg Bell, the Tacoma news train asked him, are you talking about scheme changes or personnel changes? And Pete said, yes, Pete's a smart ass. I think that I would not, I would not assume that he's going to make any scheme changes. I do okay. assume that that Abushi's going to be in there, and we'll see. We'll see how that that plays out. If that's any better, I'm not assuming that that's a lot better. But the the Brian Baldinger clips that you're talking about, when their players are running in opposite directions, that's not a physical error. That is uh, communication and execution and doing like literally running the right play. One guy is running the wrong play, and it messes up the whole thing. So. If Abushi, who's more of a veteran player, is able to have fewer of those mental mistakes, that alone will be an improvement. And then we'll see with, with the talent on the line. I, I think Afedi, I've been talking about this before last week, I think he's made some strides. I think he's, he's given me hope that he can be more than a terrible, awful right tackle. And that's a start. Britt's been playing well. I think I think that uh, Bushi, or sorry, um, Odiambo has a lot of trouble in the run game, but I thought he was better last week in pass protection. It wasn't good, but he was better. So, you know, they've, they've got to start piecing these things together, and then they've got to start thinking about how do they get the quick passing game working the way they, they have in previous seasons and if they can get play action going at all, then you've got an opportunity to really think about how to get someone like Jimmy Graham involved if Jimmy Graham's still around. One of the things that, that you've talked about, Jeff, that really is, is frustrating for, I think, a lot of fans is when it's this bad, when things are going this poorly and you finally get an opportunity to make a play and somebody drops it, you get uh, Tanner McAvoy who makes the team and drops two key passes. You get CJ Proceis who's been barely able to stay healthy and he's finally in there for the first two games. He gets his one opportunity at the goal line to make a big play. He drops it. 
he later on McAvoy drops a key third down. That's the second week in a row that the team desperately needed a receiver to come through on a third down play. First week it was Jimmy Graham dropping what was an easy catch. This week it was Tanner McAvoy. These were not tough plays to make, and you just can't avoid. You can't afford to have those kinds of mistakes when you're struggling this much just to get plays called and executed properly. So I think that one of the things you're going to, you know, we're going to have to look for this week with Tennessee is this, this is a, this is a well-balanced team. I think they went down to Jacksonville and played well against uh, that Jaguar squad who had a great start. They have a good offensive line. I think we should talk a little bit about the defense. Yeah. We got to get to that. Because, you know, I had a different take on the defense than some people did. And, again, this comes back to expectations. And you're going to have a defense in in Tennessee that's decent. It's not great. Okay. But they've got a guy like Jarrell Casey who absolutely could wreak havoc if the Seahawks aren't prepared for him. All right. Before we get into the defense, and I definitely want to touch on that, we got to touch on one more thing offensively. And I know you've been pretty vocal about this. And Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham has, I believe, four catches for nine yards in two games. He's got a banged-up knee. It sounded like a knee, and now it's, they're being talked about as an ankle. But uh, we got to touch on just – I want to talk a more big picture than what's going on in the field. We went back this week, and I, I read over your Jimmy Graham article when they initially made that trade. And three years later, it sounded like you were a psychic because <laughs> – it's, it's unbelievable because I don't think anyone had this view. When the Seahawks got Jimmy after that Super Bowl, everyone just thought it was the perfect fit. They didn't have that dominant red zone player. And I don't know if they realized at the time what they did to this team and what they did to the identity of their own team. And they really haven't been the same since. Max Unger was, was such a good center, but really the biggest thing almost, even if you eliminate Unger for a second, if they haven't had that blocking tight end. And Zach Miller was such an important player on this team. And Luke Wilson really is almost a better version of Jimmy as a blocker, but not a special blocker. Can you be this power running team without a blocking tight end? And if so, should they just start spreading Jimmy out and moving him, just use him as a receiver? Or is it time maybe to move on and just admit your losses like they did with Percy Harvin? Yeah. When I wrote that article, I mean, it was, it was pretty clear to me what, what was a problem with the trade. I thought Max Unger was a heart and soul kind of part of that team. And I'm not talking about leadership. I'm talking about the core part of the identity is they had a defensive line and an offensive line that was built on beating people up. Max Unger, when he was in there, he took a lot of pressure off of Russell. He made all the line calls. He, he got that group organized and, and effective. He was a leader in, the, in, the, in that position room, that position group, how he broke other teams down. Other players in that locker room respected him, trusted him. And he was part of how that team was able to run against eight-man fronts on defense. The Seahawks, used to, they didn't care if people loaded up the box. They didn't check to a pass. They were going to run it down your throat anyway. They might only get two or three yards, but guess what? They're coming at you. They don't care what you do. And, it, and they traded that philosophically, I think, in a reaction to what happened on the last play of one game. Yes, it happened to be a Super Bowl, but they feel like Russell needed a tall target that was a red zone threat. Great. 
I think they could have signed Jordan Cameron or Julius Thomas and spent a bunch of money on somebody and not lost a draft pick and not lost a Max Unger and been able to build their line around somebody who has already proven to be an all pro in some of the seasons he was there. Most people turned that trade down or, or said that was crazy because Unger was injured too much. Well, Unger hasn't missed a game in the last two seasons. Um, I think they would be much better off if they hadn't made that trade. Um, I felt that way at the time. And what's disappointing now, I've tried to embrace it as much as possible because there's no reason to cry over spilt milk, but Jimmy looked like he was finding some way to contribute last year. And that was great to see, but he's never fit properly in this offense. They don't seem to know how to take advantage. Russell doesn't seem to know how to utilize him. Um, And now he looks disinterested. He looks like a guy that's going through the motions and he's not putting the effort in. And as soon as you have that on the field, I just, part of me, this is instinct. You know, I, I just have to, to say this is based on my gut feel about knowing some of those guys in the locker room, knowing some of those guys in the front office and those coaches. I think they really noticed how he played in that first game and it was not noticing it in a good way. And I think for him following that game up with another stinker and when it mattered the most the last drive of the game where they were trying to run the clock out and and seal a victory they desperately needed Graham was on the sideline and they can say it was because of an injury he played the series before that a little bit so and and he didn't get injured on that series so I think that there's a chance they're realizing look just like when we got rid of Percy Harvin and became a better offense. Just like when Jimmy Graham went down in 2015 and we became a better offense, they may not do well with these star targets. They may be a better lunch pail type of offense that grinds it out with whoever is willing to put the effort in to get people open, to block, to create opportunities for other players. I don't know that Jimmy's proven that that's who he is. No. And they haven't been the same without that blocking tight end because it's essentially like a sixth offensive lineman. Zach Miller had that play where you can he'd he'd block the, he'd block at the line of scrimmage and then roll off and be a quick passing target. And they really when they drafted Nick Vanette last year in the third round, he was pegged at that next blocker. I know some of his teammates compare him to Zach Miller. He can barely get on the field and I don't know what they saw on his college tape, but he doesn't look like that blocking player and if you want to be this power running team and Chris Carson looks like a guy who can be great in that scheme, he showed a ton. You'll, you'll, you need a tight end that can block consistently. And that's not Jimmy Graham. And I was not a big Jimmy Graham fan in new Orleans, to be honest. I remember those games where the Seahawks kind of bullied him, and they kind of, they kind of used to, they got in his head and he, he seemed like a guy who was shrunk at the biggest moments. Yeah. He's an athletic freak. And yeah, he showed me a lot last year coming back from that devastating injury and being such a role play, such an important role player on that team last year coming back from that. I really gained a lot of respect for him personally. But on the field, I've never really thought he was a great fit for what this team is and the toughness this team has and the identity this team has. And, yeah, you, you said it. They can't figure out how to use him. And if you can't figure out how to use him, it's almost a waste to have him on the field. And Right now, I think you got to look like they did for Percy, even if it's a low draft pick. If you can get better as a team and you can maybe spread the ball around to your receivers more and you're not locking into him because it's, he's not making them better right now. And I really thought he would be this year. I thought the contract year, he looked great in the preseason. He looked great in training camp. But 
I'm starting to think you're right, and I think they might move on from him. But, yeah, I, I say we hit on the defense now. I don't want to spend too much time. My personal opinion, they had a good game, very good game. You only allow, what, 99 passing yards other than a couple uh, – probably three or four big runs. They didn't really allow much. But I think you hit on a good point in your article uh, recapping the game that I think you should touch on because you, you made a good point about the defensive line. Well – I absolutely think the defense played a good game, um, a really good game. I think that that's – it was, a, uh, for the most part, a really fundamentally sound game. There weren't a lot of opportunities for the 49ers. Their longest pass play was 14 yards. Uh, I think that was a run after the catch, too. I don't think they had any uh, receptions that traveled more than 10 yards in the air. I mean, it's crazy. But I also think this defense can be a historically great defense. And yeah. they were playing a really bad 49ers offense. And they are playing them at home. So really what I was hoping to see was more disruption to the yeah. point where the 49ers weren't just having trouble moving the ball, but they were having trouble holding on to the ball. And one, one takeaway is just less than I expected. You look at what the Ravens did to the Browns, five takeaways. You look at uh, what the Panthers have done – you know, when they play the 49ers on the road, two takeaways, three points allowed. Uh, they played uh, – who did the Panthers play this week? They gave up three points to whoever they the Bills. played. The, the Bills. Bills. People are like, oh, they played crappy teams. Well, guess what? We just played a crappy team at home, and I think our defense is better than those defenses. So, yeah. um, again, it's an expectation thing. I'm looking for this defense to be able to create two-plus turnovers against – really inferior offenses. And I think the team's going to need them to be that disruptive and they just weren't quite there. So mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that as a major criticism, but there's a lot of money invested in that side and they just grabbed Sheldon Richardson. I want to see them be unblockable. I haven't seen that yet. The first half of the green Bay game, you kind of started to see it, but they, it seemed like they wore out a bit and they had some injuries with, up top with cramps and stuff but last game you're right they weren't really in the face of Hoyer Hoyer just didn't have anyone to throw to and they played a lot more base than I thought they would have maybe because the 49ers don't have the defensive talent but I'm a little concerned when they're giving up those chunk plays again in the run I know Kyle Shanahan does a great job scheming he's probably the brightest offensive mind in all of football and maybe the best scheming or schemer of any offensive coach and they found some ways to do some tricky things that open those holes. But that was three huge runs, one of them at the end of the second half that allowed them to tie the game. They they shouldn't be allowing plays like that with their run. I don't know if they, they're missing that fourth defensive tackle or maybe Sheldon Richardson is – Sheldon Richardson's been a great run player. I'd like to see him be a little more dominant against the pass, especially at CenturyLink when the, with the crowd noise. But overall, I'm pretty happy with the defense. The one thing that's been kind of strange to me and it's just, it might just be a weird reaction. It's only been two games. I haven't noticed Cam Chancellor on the field at all. This is both positively and negatively. He hasn't had any coverage errors, which you can sometimes see against other tight ends. He's been pretty fine in coverage, but I haven't seen him have one of those big physical hits or even an impact play at all. Am I, I, don't, am I missing something? Because you saw Earl fly all over the field in that Green Bay game, and you saw the linebackers play fantastic this week, but I haven't even noticed them. Have you? No, I, th I think that's fair. I, th I think that he's he's been – one of the things that Cam doesn't get as much credit for is just how sound 
of a player he is. Yeah. He's where he needs to be. He's often the guy that's getting people set up on defense and and uh, correcting mistakes both on the practice field and in the when they're playing the games. So I think he's been playing very effectively. He has not had a lot of impact plays. I think that's absolutely true, and he has not showed up that way. Another guy I'd kind of you know bring up that has not had a great well I'd say I wouldn't say Cam has not had a great start but he hasn't shown up that much I think Cliff Averill has not had a great start um he's a guy that is not getting consistent pressure off the edge yet and they need him to be that's his whole job and so he's a Leo full-time pass rusher uh, 11 and a half sacks last year they need him to do that um I'd like to see more from him I think as someone who's been a really big fan of David Bass and hoping that he would make an impact, I think he's looking like I have some doubts about how much he's going to contribute. Uh, I think Marcus Smith is a guy that maybe starts getting more and more of those snaps. And I have some question about whether Bass is on the team in, in a few weeks. Um, you know, I'm just not sure I'm seeing enough from him. So look, it, I know we're switching back and forth here, but just in talking about some guys that I think that we could see some lineup changes around. Yeah. I look at on offense. One of their challenges is getting enough good blockers on the field. They've got Tyler Lockett and they've got uh, Doug Baldwin who are both willing blockers and Doug's a good blocker, but they're undersized. I think you could see more Amara Darbo. I think McAvoy has been getting some of those snaps because he's supposed to be a little bit better, but I think Darbo's, as someone who's been really critical of him, I thought he's played noticeably better in these two games and looks like a guy that could help. I think that you could see a little bit more Marcus Smith. I think you're going to see, um, you know, more of Bradley McDougald. Uh, I think we already talked about Ode Abushi. Wouldn't shock me if we start seeing a little bit of Ethan Posick over time, rotating into yeah. some places. So uh, I think there are some, some differences that we could see as, as time rolls on. Okay, one player you'd like to see more of on offense and one player you'd like to see more of on defense. Well, I'm definitely going to go with with Darbo on offense. And, you know, I I would say Chris Carson, but as long as they don't reduce his chances, I'm fine (laughs) with the the percentage he's getting right now. And on defense, um, that's a good question. I, I, I guess... I'd like to see more from Shaquille Griffin uh, on yeah. the field. He, he got fewer snaps this past week and Jeremy Lane was out there. I didn't love that. It worked no. out okay, but I would rather Griffin be out there. I think he's going to be a guy that has a bigger chance to make impact plays than Lane Lane's going to be. All right. For me, I'm going to go Frank Clark on defense and he, he's still getting a lot of plays, but he might be their best defensive lineman as a pass rusher right now. And he's just an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. And that play he made in the end zone last week that almost went for a safety was he just makes a play every week. It was a spin move in Green Bay he made. I just want to see more of him. This guy could be a 15-sack player if he gets all those snaps. So not like he's not getting snaps now, but the way he's playing, I definitely want to see more of him. And offense, Darbo's a good pick. Maybe Luke Wilson. Maybe have Luke Wilson as a bigger part of the game plan. He's more of an all-around tight end than Graham is, and I'd like to see Wilson – he made some good plays down the field last game. He made some really solid blocks. So I'd like to see him more involved and CJ Procise, I'm still okay with just catch the ball, please. <laughs> but I think yeah. he has value of the third down receiver still. And I love how they used him in that new England game still. And I'd love to see him in a role like that, but just 
those drops were awful. I that was a touchdown you had. That was a big third down that led to points for San Francisco. You got to catch the ball. Yeah, Darbo over McAvoy. I'm all in on that one. And okay, well, interesting, interesting thing with McAvoy before we leave that is that um, it seems like Russell's more comfortable throwing the ball up for McAvoy than he yeah. has been to Jimmy. And I I don't know why that is. I mean, McAvoy six six, Graham six seven. But he actually put the ball in places that were appropriate for McAvoy to go get it. He sent, tends to underthrow or throw too low to Graham. I, I don't know why that is, but I'm not at all giving up on McAvoy. I know everyone's down on him. He had a really frustrating game, but I'm okay with him continuing to, to get opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there was all the Case and Williams talk. I know people are still upset about that. And I'm okay with that. Case and Williams was amazing in the preseason. He's still inactive for the Browns, so we're still still that we wish he was still here, but we gotta move on. He's not he's not here. I doubt he's coming back. And yeah, it's, it's a very interesting game coming up with Tennessee because we mentioned earlier they're an exotic Blixen team. It's gonna put a lot of strain on the O line. Derrick Henry and DeMarco Murray are really good runners. They're power runners, they have a great offensive line in Tennessee. So you're gonna ask you're asking the O line to play well and you're asking the the run defense to play well. And I bet they're going to be able to nickel a lot more. They go, the Tennessee has moved more towards a three-receiver offense than a two-tight end offense, which they were more last year. They drafted Corey Davis high. They signed Eric Decker. I think we'll stick to the game. I asked you, what's one thing you want to see on offense, not player-wise, just overall group, and one thing you want to see on defense? If I had to pick one thing on offense, it's that – Russell Wilson looks like he has some sort of rhythm yeah. and, and some confidence in what he's doing. It can be that he is decisively choosing to scramble because there's pressure and picking up yardage that he can. It can be that he's taking quick drops and giving it off to someone or that he's running read option or that he's handing the ball off, whatever. I want to look, I want Russell Wilson to look like he is in command of what's going on with that offense. So that's my, my thing on offense on defense. I really just want to see I want to see more pressure and more disruptive pressure that moves the line of scrimmage and it's a tough offense to do that against but man they've got so much talent on this line if it's not going to be overwhelming to opponents we've got bigger issues so I'd like to see that continue to build to where teams don't know how to deal with what the Seahawks are doing on the defense yeah, I guess if I had to answer, I'd for offense, I want to see more of the quick strike passing game that, they, that was used so well in 2015. I don't want to see them try to run up and run over people as much as they're trying to do early in the game. I want to see them establish some sort of identity and some sort of rhythm because right now, again, I've been saying this, they, they don't feel like they have any flow to their offense. It just feels random, and every series is a total mystery. I want to see a consistent theme to what they're trying to do. And they're playing the Colts next week, who probably have the weakest roster in the league right now. So I want to see them starting to get rolling and establish some sort of identity when there's a clear idea of who they are and what they want to be. On defense, I want to see the takeaways. I know you mentioned this earlier. With this defensive line and this secondary talent, one takeaway, I guess it would have been two if not for that horrible call. Well, there's still two takeaways. It just didn't count as a touchdown. So it's two takeaways in two games. I want to see... I want to see more. I want to see numbers return closer to the 2013 season. And with this kind of D-line, you shouldn't 
you shouldn't be struggling to take the ball away. And Marcus Mariota can throw interceptions. He's the kind of player who's still learning how to play quarterback in the NFL. And with this kind of roster and this kind of talent, I'd like to see them return to that level. So that's where I'm at heading into this game in a game where it's going to be really interesting to see how they match up against one of the more talented AFC teams. They struggled the first week, but this is a, it's a good measuring stick to see how they do on the road after what looked like a game where they showed some progress, but I still want to see more. I'm with you. I'm with you, Jeff. And uh, I think with that, I got to, I got to head back and, and, uh, do my day job, but but yeah. uh, I'm glad we got a chance to, to catch up this week a little bit. Hopefully, we'll, I think we've got some good guests for next week and uh, pick it back up where we left it off. Yeah, as you can see, for those who are watching on video, I'm in a suit right now. It's not very common for me. So, dude, you're looking it, great. I love it. Yeah, it's four o'clock in Eastern time, middle of the day. This is a rare time for me to talk Seahawks, and I, I, I love doing this. I love that we were able to do this today. And, yeah, hopefully next week we're not talking about all the gloom on offense. I think we're hopefully talking about progress and the Seahawks returning to one of those elite teams in the league like we think they should be. But right now they just look like a middling team with a great defense that's being wasted. And I want to see major progress this week. I know they're on the road. I know they don't play well on grass. But I'm still such a believer in the roster they have, and I think the best is still to come. I know Russell always says that, and people roll their eyes, but I believe it. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with one note there, which is September uh, is his worst month in terms of passer rating throughout his career. It's uh, 89, somewhere around 89. October is about 96, and then November and December, he's up over 100 for his career. So mm-hmm. he does tend to start slow and build, and so does the Seahawks offense. And you're, you're absolutely right. They got to get one this week. This is a pivotal game. And if they can find a way, I think it's gonna be a really tough game, but if they find a way to win this, yeah, then they're in really good position to have a, enough time to really get their feet under them. But, but this game, they got to find a way to get it. And the other upside, if you're one of those real pessimistic guys is the division looks like a train wreck. Arizona <laughs> stinks. Yeah. The Rams look like the better team of the rest of the three. They pissed away a game against Washington. They should have won. And Jared Goff's still learning how to play. They have a great defense, and Tom Gurley showed some signs. But, man, Seattle should run away with this thing. They can probably win this division 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. Luckily, you know, we're not talking about division as our goal. You know, no. This team, no. This, hey, that's Pete's number one goal. Yeah. <laughs> win the division. We got to figure out a way to, to, to be the – you know, that this would be a huge squandering of talent if that's all that they can do. So let's, let's – uh, Look for this week to be a better one and uh, talk to you next week, Jeff. All right, Brian. Have a good rest of your day. Take care.